Hi, it's Shana here. Before this episode starts, I'm popping in with a quick reminder about our upcoming CEU on Thursday, May 16th on a person-centered approach to behavior management. School taught us a lot about ABA. However, the thing with ABA is that it's a science and it's constantly evolving. So a lot of what we learned back then doesn't always apply now. Today, we want to use a person-centered approach to behavior management, um, but what does that look like and how can our learners still make progress in this kind of approach? So join us live on Thursday, May 16th at 12 p.m. Eastern Time as Shira discusses how to use a person-centered approach to behavior management with your learners. This CEU is presented by our very own Shira Karpel. You can earn one learning CEU for ACE, QABA, or IBAO. Join us live at this event or to watch the recording asynchronously, go to howtoaba.com forward slash CEU. See you then. Hi, I'm Shira Karpow. And I'm Shana Gaunt, and we're board certified behavior analysts. At How To ABA, we provide practical resources, community, and support to ABA professionals. In each episode of our podcast, we will be having real conversations with real people sharing real stories about ABA. We'll share relevant strategies and actionable tips that will make us all better ABA practitioners. It's the ABA content you need that you're not going to learn in a textbook. Hi, everyone. Today, we are talking with Valerie Niger who is an autism feeding specialist. And I think for any of us who've been in the field for, I mean, a day, we know that a lot of the kids that we work with really struggle with feeding. Um, and so when Valerie reached out to us about you know, speaking about her specialty, we were like, yes, please come and join us. We need to hear more about this. Um, so welcome, Valerie. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so inspired by your work at How to ABA. I think it's such an amazing idea to start something with the purpose of providing community and shared resources within the field. And second, it's just so effective and helpful. I wish I would have had access to something like this when I was a newly minted BCBA, and I'm grateful it's available to me now. Well, thank you. Thanks I mean, so much. That was really our intention. Like, you should just be writing our blurbs because that was why we started this. Um, <laughs> so it's really nice to hear that people are, you know, receiving it the way we intended. So thank you. Yeah. Um, if you can start by telling us a little bit about you, um, how you got into the field of ABA and, and how you got to where you are now. Sure. I think my story as it pertains to ABA is just kind of a love story. <laughs> I was going to undergraduate school in the early 2000s and I wasn't entirely sure what I wanted to do. I was enrolled in a psychology course at the beginning of my junior year in college. And one day we had a guest lecturer come in and it was Dr. Greg Madden. And Dr. Madden is brilliant and has done a lot of wonderful work in the area of behavioral economics. But he came into the class this day essentially to recruit students into an ABA track within the Department of Psychology. So he gave this basic, what is ABA lecture with all the applications and these really rich examples and what professions that ABA can lead into. And I was totally mesmerized. You know, I said this was a love story and that was my love at first sight moment where I was totally hooked. I left class that day with this wholly new perspective on life and kind of just one question on my mind, like, how can I learn more about this? And it changed my life. I changed my course schedule. I took every class that I could um, in the psychology department. And then I started applying to graduate schools and I moved across the country. And I was in Wisconsin then and I moved to North Texas and I met 
my mentor in graduate school who was in performance improvement, which was my primary interest area at that time. And when I was at UNT, there was just a lot of diverse experience opportunities. I worked in schools. I worked with child welfare. I worked in home with um, families with children with autism. I wrote a thesis in the area of OBM. I basically wanted to do and try everything. I just love seeing the world through a behavior analytic lens. Uh, makes everything click for me. And that's really what led me into feeding too. I relocated to the Seattle area after graduate school and I started working in the field. And after about six years working in the community, I learned about a hospital-based program led by two BCBADs. And I thought, well, that's something I haven't tried yet. I wanna do that. Um, and I applied and somehow worked my way into having these two wonderful mentors. And specifically pertaining to today's topic, I started to work with Dr. Danielle Dolazal, who is a feeding expert. And I did that for seven years before transitioning back into more community-based work. And feeding became such a passion for me um, that during that time, I started to blog about it and to provide free education to families and providers. And that's something that I continue to do today in addition to my field-based work. Such an incredible story. Um, you know, I wish that somebody had come into my university and actually told me about ABA. I worked yeah. with, um, yeah, I mean, I worked with rats in university and we did a lot of experimental ABA and well, obviously just experimental BA. And uh, I hated it, hated every minute of it. No, no one told me how it related to real life until actually after I graduated. So uh, it's so great that you got it right there. I'm kind of jealous. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> It's. I'm so happy to have you on today. Like Shira said, um, it's just so nice to hear from somebody who is an expert in feeding. Usually as an ABA therapist or ABA professional, you know, we know a little bit about a lot, right? And to be able to, you know, have somebody on who knows a lot about a really big area in ABA is huge because a lot of the individuals we work with have, you know, whether they're eating disorders or whether they're just food sensitivities or they just have been conditioned not to like certain foods or just don't try new foods. Um, I mean, that's a huge spectrum. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Feeding is really a specialty area in behavior analysis and not everyone is comfortable treating feeding concerns. And what I was finding in my work is that there's a huge demand, just like you said, for help with feeding concerns and the wait for families is really long. So I felt like the blog was something that I could do to help kind of on both sides of the coin. It can help families that are needing these services with education and it can help providers too, you know, like your audience who are serving this population. So those people who are listening, the um, your blog is going to be in our show notes, but the blog is autismfeedingspecialist.com. And it's such a great name. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious what you would say to people who say maybe feeding isn't part of behavior analysis. Like, mm -hmm. do you have a good argument for like, let's leave feeding to the experts, either, you know, an OT or speech therapist. Like, how would you define that it falls under ABA? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's been a lot of conversation too in the feeding world about who should be treating feeding challenges and who who are the experts and um, which disciplines does this fall in. And there's a really great article by Gaudet and colleagues from 2019 where he they really suggest a new term for feeding challenges, the pediatric feeding disorder, and provide a nice definition and framework for what a feeding disorder is and then who should treat it. And really the kind of key point is that there are four different disciplines or areas that need to be addressed within or, or for children who have feeding challenges. And that's people from you know the medical discipline, 
dietitians, um, the nutrition world, we need to have people who are feeding skill experts. And that's where our SLP and OT friends fall. And then the last area that they describe in the article is psychosocial. And that's really where the behavior analyst falls, as well as counselors, social workers, psychologists. So there are a lot of different players that can come to the table. And I think it just needs to be highly individualized for you know, the person with feeding needs and what exactly are their challenges and who needs to, I think that everyone can come to the table to begin with from each area for assessment. And then once we've got more information about that individual, we can be a little bit more specific in terms of who needs to continue to come to the table when it comes to treatment. So, I mean, we were speaking recently on, you know, collaboration with other professionals. I know it's something that is challenging for a lot of, you know, BCBAs in the field is how to work with other professionals. And especially like you're describing on something like feeding where it's so multifaceted and there's so many different expertise that could contribute to one solution. Um, What is your experience in incorporating all of those different professionals? Yeah, well, I think feeding really brought to life for me the team-based model you know, in the hospital-based setting, I worked in an interdisciplinary team program where I was treating patients alongside a dietitian, a nurse practitioner, a speech and language pathologist. And when you work with a really supportive team, it's such an awesome opportunity to share your knowledge. And, you know, in this case, our passion, not only for the benefit of the child or the patient, but also other professionals and vice versa. And your knowledge base really begins to grow in new, diverse directions. It makes you a richer professional and it teaches you what you do and you don't know. I think it humbles you and it truly shows you what's within scope for you as a behavior analyst at the same time that it broadens your scope. Totally. Yeah. And I love that description. Um, so when we, when we spoke earlier, you had mentioned wanting to, we love everything that's practical. We love giving mm-hmm. our audience some really practical tips. Yes. So what can you say about Um, What's the biggest challenge first that you see in kids with autism in these feeding issues, the ones that you specifically deal with? Um, Is it the flexibility? Is it the, you know, the sensory piece? Is it the rigidity with certain foods? Like, what are you seeing as the biggest challenge to feeding? Mm, Yeah, well, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of them. I think it's, you know, again, really highly individualized where different kids can struggle in different areas. And then, you know, that causes the treatment to look a little different too. Um, I think a common vein though, among kids with autism is that because there is kind of that rigidity that can sometimes be associated with that diagnosis and that desire for sameness that we do have a lot of kids who really struggle with, you know, how foods can vary from day to day, from season to season, from who cooked it and which kitchen, all of those things that can make it really challenging for them to accept even their favorite foods sometimes in a different location or when a different person prepared them. Um, So being flexible at mealtimes can be really tough for this population. Yeah. I mean, I definitely hear that. We, uh, we take a, a bunch of our students away on like an overnight and we were told that this child really likes chicken nuggets. So we prepared mm-hmm. all the chicken nuggets and yes. the first day comes and he was refusing to have any of those chicken nuggets. And we were like, you know, two hours away from any city, but we had to get away for, they had to look exactly the same as the one that mom made. And so she had to find a way to get those chicken nuggets up to where we were, which was, you know, you can imagine that's very challenging in, in a parent's life to have to have everything be exactly the same and not be able to go to a restaurant or not be able to like send your your child over to grandma's house because your chicken nuggets look different. And that's a really big impediment to like, you know, living and so stressful for caregivers as well. 
Yes, absolutely. It's very limiting. You know, just like you said, it prevents, you know, a lot of those social interactions, going to a friend's house, having a sleepover, being at grandma's and bigger things for families too, like going on a vacation. Um, Sometimes a target that can be really important to a family's life is teaching the child to be able to eat like a happy meal so that they can go any place where there's yeah, no anywhere. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that can be really helpful and open up their world um, and improve their quality of life. Yeah. Um, so can we talk about some ways that you would suggest working on that flexibility? Yeah, I would love to share um, some, some ways to encourage, you know, the kids that you're working with or a client to help them try new things. You know, have some ideas that will you know help you push that little person to grow without hopefully pushing them over the edge. And um, so the first step in this strategy is to identify a food that the child already likes to eat. So once you've identified a food that the child likes, we're going to apply five ways that you can change it up to make it a new food. So with that, I want to be clear, this isn't like transforming the child's plate of crackers into broccoli. We're going to take baby steps. You can't um, wave your magic wand and do that? (laughs) No, if I had the magic wand, I would just do that. That would be way easier. (laughs) Um, But this is going to be more of a baby steps kind of approach to altering a food that the child currently likes to support them with just being flexible and getting their body used to something a little different. So again, the goal is to encourage the kiddo to try something in a new way and with a little less resistance or anxiety or fear around that. You're working on flexibility and you want to help this kiddo to stretch a little bit. So, so I, to tell- you, I was going to say, as you say that, I remember I had a student one time who yeah. only ate things with cheese on and it was that fake processed cheese, but it was cheese sandwiches and uh, goldfish crackers with cheese, et cetera. But he would only eat the gold, the um, cheese sandwich. If it was cut a certain way, if it was cut like an X, he would eat it, but not in a square. Um, and he couldn't have it in fingers and that type of thing. And it was literally just working on the cheese sandwich that he accepted all the time, just cut differently. Yes. So you took the words right out of my mouth. The first idea that I have is to just change up the shape of a food that your child is already familiar with or your client already likes is like whip out the cookie cutters or get creative with your knife skills and just change their food simply by making it look different. So again, yeah, just like that, if they're used to it in squares, cut it in triangles. If this is a little person like that likes carrots sliced into sticks, try cutting them in circles. Um, whatever you can to just make it look a little different by the way that you cut it or present it on the plate. It's a really so good. Would, you, oh, go would you then pair that with reinforcement? You know, if they eat it in a different shape, is there any kind of reinforcement? Absolutely. Yes. And you can even serve that alongside the way that they're used to having it too, so that they can even make a choice around which way they're going to eat it. And if they decide to only do it their familiar way, but they tolerate the different, the changed up way on their plate, that also might be a good thing to reinforce for your client, depending on where they're starting from. I like that. It's still low pressure. Like we're not looking to stress them out and mealtimes shouldn't be stressful. Yes. Yes. Do you suggest doing this at mealtimes or at a different time? I think that it's a nice way to change things up at mealtimes and having those foods there at a time when the child is hungry is nice. Sometimes we talk about presenting foods away from mealtimes so that we can really separate this experience of introducing something new and try to kind of lower the pressure of a meal or getting in all those calories. 
But at the same rate, if we present new foods when the child's not hungry, they might be less motivated to eat them too. So kind of thinking about some of those different variables is important and individualizing that for your client. Okay. Yeah. I think that some of these tips that I'm going to talk about today are um, things that you can also encourage a parent to do. Um, if you're maybe working on making some bigger changes in your sessions that are outside of mealtimes, then maybe this is some changes that the parent could feel comfortable making uh, maybe at home at mealtime. So they can be also reinforcing this idea of changing things up and, you know, pushing the lever a little bit, making things um, change over time for the child. But again, without making it too scary or too big of changes too quickly. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we got to change the shape. What else do you have for us? (laughs) Yeah, we can change the delivery. So option two is to change the vehicle the child uses for their food. So this could mean serving a favorite food in a bowl rather than in the container that you bought it. So some kids can be really specific, like I have to have my yogurt in the yogurt cup that comes from the store. So just taking it out of that cup and presenting it in a bowl or on a plate in some way, It could also mean serving the food on top of another food. So maybe if the child really likes cheese and crackers, but actually putting the cheese on the crackers could be a change for them. Go ahead and try that. Um, And it could also mean using something like um, a graham cracker as the spoon for applesauce or the yogurt or things like that. So taking maybe two things the child likes and combining them in a new way to change the delivery. That's so creative. But I mean, you know, if you take the yogurt out of the container and the child refuses to eat it, um, what then? Would you offer them the container again? Yeah, I think that you want to maybe present both of those things at the same time. If you know that there's a chance that they're going to refuse it when you offer it outside of the container that it came in, then you either want to have the container option available right away from the get-go, especially maybe if you're using this as a strategy for a parent and you're using some parent training to suggest some of these changes. You might say, I know it's going to be hard if your child doesn't want to eat the yogurt because you presented it in the bowl. So maybe go ahead and just present some of the yogurt in the bowl and also the container so that right from the get-go, they're not going to inadvertently reinforce the avoidance when the child avoids it in the bowl and then they bring out the container secondarily. We kind of don't want to go there, right? So either just put both out right away, right? I love that. Yeah. Okay. Do you have any other suggestions? So we have the shape, the delivery. Mm -hmm. The next one is to change the brand. So just like it sounds, this one is about just changing up the one that you bought from the store. So maybe you kind of religiously buy a certain sort of bread or the family that you work with does, um, and it's all your client knows, or maybe the brand the child is used to is the only one they will accept. So either way, specific kind of chicken nuggets, always. Yes. It's amazing how they know, like they would know if you change the brand. Exactly. And you want them to know. I thank you for saying that. I think for all these strategies, you want to make sure that the kiddo knows from the get-go, we're trying something different. We're trying to get your body used to something new and letting them in on, you know, this change. You don't want this to be like grandma sneaking cauliflower into the mac and cheese or something like that. Because what's going to happen is these kids are really highly sensitive and they might really know this one is different. It's not the same. And maybe they don't realize until it's in their mouth. And then there might be this trust issue where the next time you present something that actually is the thing that they love, they might refuse it because they're not sure. They're going to say, oh, I don't really know if this is the mac and cheese with the cauliflower or if this is the mac and cheese that I like. So I'm just going to leave the whole thing. 
Um, so you want to make sure that they know and that they're in on the change. And like you said, if you're going to use reinforcement, setting that up from the get-go and talking about what is the expectation for accessing reinforcement as you do these things, are they going to receive reinforcement for just tolerating it being there? Are they going to receive reinforcement for taking a bite or maybe doing something else like giving it a kiss or touching it with their tongue or some other steps on the way to taking a bite? I really like that too, because it's all about client ascent as well, right? So you've got a choice aspect that's built in, but you also have that client buy-in and it's not about, like you said, sneaking that cauliflower in. It's about, hey, I'm giving you these options. And you know, with this option that you may not like as much, there's reinforcement involved. So there's your choice, but you also have that. You let me know if you want to do this or not. Absolutely. And along that note, I actually created a child-friendly worksheet today for your listeners that if they want to go to my website to download that tool, you can actually use that with a kiddo to talk through what are some of these different changes we could make to some of your foods um, so that we have some things that are approachable for you, but maybe some ways that you can help us decide that we can change them up to help your body get used to doing some new things. Um, So if you're interested in that, you can find that at my website autismfeedingspecialist.com forward slash how to ABA podcast. And you can download that tool. Thank you. That's excellent. Yeah. And I love, um, I love what you're saying. I, even when my own kids were little, one of my biggest, you know, pet peeves when I was a kid was I was never told what I was eating. And it was always like, we're presenting a new food, but like, let's call it this. And I felt so betrayed every time I would eat that, that with my (laughs) own kids, even when they were little, like we call food by its name. We're not going to pretend that like cauliflower is like some special potato chip, like, no, it's cauliflower. And so I think with all the kids that we work with, the more trust you can build, and the more honest you can be, the better. Um, So yeah, I mean, even with my own kids, that's a great suggestion. Yeah. Well, I think to your point too, one of the things that we forget about is also teaching kids about the names of different foods or different food groups or teaching them when they taste something. Yeah, that's carrot or that's cauliflower or when they're having, especially in like a yogurt or an applesauce, like that's apple in your applesauce or that's Mm -hmm. strawberries in your yogurt so that they start to identify what these different tastes and flavors are. Because if they like them, then they can request them or they can know when they try them in a new form. Like that's that thing that you like in your yogurt that's now in this food. Um, And they can say, oh, oh, that's strawberry. I like strawberry. I want to try that as opposed to everything feeling completely foreign because they don't really know what's in all these foods that they're eating. There's also a lot of times that we attach value to foods, right? So when I think of broccoli, I attach my own my own value to it. I'm like, oh, broccoli. Oh, here you go to my daughter, right? And instead of she, hey, it's broccoli. And, uh, you know, she, one of her favorite foods is actually broccoli. And in my head, I'm thinking that's disgusting. Why do you want broccoli? But it is. Yeah. And I think that's wonderful. Um, my husband calls um, Brussels sprouts green balls of misery. And <laughs> I always call them green balls of misery. But again, he's attaching his own values to that because Brussels yes. sprouts, when cooked with lots of other things, can uh-huh. be delicious. Um, yes. So it's about making sure that we're not attaching our values to it when we're presenting it to our clients, our kids, et cetera, as well. Absolutely. Making the foods neutral. Yeah. That's a really good thing to think about. I agree. Do you have any suggestion on getting caregivers on board? Because I know we hear a lot about caregivers saying, you know, I'm really struggling with this and it's really Mm -hmm. hard. And then push comes to shove. We make a suggestion and it's like, "Uh, but like they need to eat and I don't want to stress them out. So how can, how can you, or how have you had success getting caregivers on board with changing things up even, even slightly? Yeah. Well, I think talking through with families, some of these ideas around 
you know, what happens when a child refuses a food and you present something different and talking about how is the principle of reinforcement working in that context can be really helpful to motivate them to think about, well, what, what should I do differently in that situation? Or how can I present the foods in a way where I'm not cornered into doing that, but also feeling like my child's going to get something to eat because it's so motivating as a parent to see your child eat. <laughs> we know how important that is. And so we want to get food into the body. And so we'll stop at nothing to make it happen, right? So I think getting them on board with understanding some of the concepts of what can go wrong if we present foods in certain ways. And then what are some other strategies that they can take or what things can they do to be successful when it's tough? Um, so again, hopefully, you know, some of these kinds of strategies like we're talking about today, where we can you know, scaffold things slowly and take baby steps where the parent can feel really confident um, that what they're doing is going to support their child with getting their body used to new things, um, but doing it in a way that's at their child's pace or isn't too quick or too challenging for them, or that they have the backup plan in place, right? Like I'm going to present the food in two ways, like the new way and the old way. Um, so I can be okay with whatever direction the child goes. I still know that they're going to be able to eat some food at this meal. And Valerie, that's such a great point. You know, we talk about, um, you know, with parents and it's, I would imagine it's very individualized as well. And, you know, when we were talking earlier, we were talking about, hey, let's do a podcast, but this is actually a really great webinar. And I think that a lot of our members, non-members would be really interested in something longer than just, you know, a 20 or 30 minute podcast. Um, so we were talking actually about doing something in terms of a highly individualized approach to feeding, but that was also culturally sensitive um, to clients as well. Um, so for those of you listening, um, we are going to do a webinar on this because I'm so excited about it. Um, and I think it's such valuable information. So stay tuned for the webinar. It's going to be on February 24th, which is a Friday, and it's at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Um, that's live. You can also join um, Asynchronous as well after the fact. Um, become a member at howtoaba.com and um, you get the webinar. And not only this webinar, but access to a bunch of other asynchronous webinars and downloads as well. Yes, I'm so excited to be providing a webinar inside this community. And we'll be talking about what causes and maintains feeding challenges. We'll address foundational strategies for supporting kids with feeding challenges and how to conduct preference assessments to identify foods to target for feeding therapy and how that process can set you up as a provider to implement an appropriate treatment that has good contextual fit for the child and family. I'm so excited because, you know, for so long, you know, we come up with these feeding programs and, you know, by no means am I a specialist on this. And I'm talking to like the autism feeding specialist right now. And not only am I talking to the autism feeding, feeding specialist, but she's going to be on a webinar of ours. Like, it's so cool. So Valerie, thank you. I really appreciate it. Well, yeah, I think it'll be really valuable for our our members to hear um, as a BCBA, we're not trained in this. We're not barely trained in, you know, regular day-to-day -day ABA stuff. We're yet. trained like, in this. Come on. We're trained <laughs> in ABA. <laughs> but feeding is, is a really important area. And I think a lot of people will feel very supported in learning more tips from you and how to, how to support our learners better in this area. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. So Thank thanks you. everyone. Go to the show notes 
to uh, download five ways to improve flexibility in mealtimes. That's at autismfeedingspecialist.com backslash how to ABA podcast. Forward slash and, how to um, ABA podcast. Forward slash, not backslash. <laughs> yeah. um, as well as uh, stay tuned for our upcoming webinar on February 24th at 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for being here, Valerie. Yes. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks for joining today's conversation. Wherever you get your podcast, please go and subscribe, rate and review so others can find out about us too. For more from How to ABA, including free resources and ABA materials, visit our blog at howtoaba.com and make sure that you're following us on social media for more practical tips and updates.